Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 14, a most important chapter. Paul has been working up to chapters 14 and 15 through the entire letter. These were not something added on at the end. They're a focal point of what to be pointed to or what Paul intends to point to. And it is how God's people learn to get along in conscience controversies. So, we're going to read uh, verses 9 through 15. And and again, let me say, since we do have a number of visitors here today, we've been doing a series on a clear conscience toward God and men. People didn't have conscience trouble. Psychiatrists and psychologists would be out of work. There'd be nothing for them to do. But we do have a conscience. Every person has a conscience. Christian or unbelievers, everyone has one. There are those who seem to live like they don't have one, but there's still a voice there. And so we have been considering that out of the epistle to the Romans and the epistle of Paul to the Corinthians, the first epistle, verses 8 through 10. And I encourage the congregation to continue to read those as we go through this lengthy series <clears throat> but we are also taking something of an excursion uh, a very extended footnote on the issue of stumbling blocks as paul talks about our consciences he always gets to the point of stumbling blocks that is something said or done in such a way that it causes someone to sin makes the occasion For them to sin. Or it hinders their walk with the Lord. Both are great sins. So it is vital for us to understand. This matter of stumbling blocks. That being said. If you would please stand with me. We're going to read Romans chapter 14. Verses 9 through 15. Let's give our attention. To this word of God. Verse 9, for to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and living. But why dost thou judge thy brother in matters of conscience? Why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Let us not, therefore, judge one another any more, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall In his brother's way. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus. That there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean. To him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat. Now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat. For whom Christ died. Amen. 
May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. If you will remain standing with me, unless if you have a condition that makes it difficult for you to continue standing, please feel free to be seated. Otherwise, let's lift our hearts together, brethren, before the throne of grace. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come before Thee. We are standing in Thy presence. Thou dost know every heart here. Thou seest every thought here. Thou hearest every motion of every heart in this place. Everyone gathered before thee here and in every faithful congregation across this planet, everyone is an open book to thee. Lord, with thy holy and thy awesome gaze upon us, may we turn our hearts to thee May we avoid distraction and may we not distract others. Father, may we give our attention to thy holy word. It is thy word. Thou hast spoken it. Thou hast moved upon men so that they would write down thy eternal truth for us. This unchanging word is the word of life. It is everything that we need for our salvation. It is everything we need to bring thee glory. It is everything that we need for faith and life as thy people. It is thy truth, unchanged and unchanging. O righteous God, glorious God, Make thyself known today. We are not interested in idle words. We're not interested in smooth words that seal off the lost in their darkness and help them to hell. Oh God, come by the mighty power of thy spirit. Come by the mighty power of Pentecost. Come by the spirit that created this universe, come by this Spirit that raised Christ from the dead and move in the hearts of those that thou hast gathered here today. O God of life, breathe life in this place. God of life, move upon those who are dead in trespasses and sins and awaken them, make them see, make them feel their lostness before thee. And help them, grant them light to believe the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. I can say nothing. I can do nothing. I am powerless before thee to open one heart. I can beg. I can plead. I can weep. But I can save no soul. It must be thee, O Lord. Come. Come by thy sweet spirit. Woo the lost unto thyself. And come to thy dear children. O Christ, 
Blessed bridegroom, come into thy garden here today. Come into thy garden and give thy loves unto us. Come and draw us near. Fill us with that blessed spirit that sheds abroad the love of God in our hearts. And grant that we might love thee and love one another earnestly, really, supernaturally, powerfully. Do it, O God. Now, thou seest and knowest us. Speak to us. Speak especially to the children and the young people here today. Help this weak vessel to preach thy word. Help this fallible man to preach thine infallible word. Come now. Exalt Christ, O Holy Spirit. Exalt Christ in every heart. And we ask it in the name of our Savior. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. The church of Jesus Christ at Rome was divided by warring factions. Factions, children, are small groups of people within a larger body of people. Let me say that again. They're small groups of people within a larger body of people. One group usually has some disagreement or quarrel with another group. Within the church of Rome, some Gentile believers had strong consciences. They believed that they could eat meat and drink wine. They also did not observe Jewish feasts or Sabbaths. They had never been under the old covenant. And some Jewish believers had weak consciences. They believed they could not eat meat or drink wine. They ate only vegetables and herbs. And they believed that they must observe the Jewish feasts and Sabbaths. The faction with strong consciences looked down on their brethren who did not eat and drink. The faction with weak consciences judged those who did eat. The Jews had weak consciences because they were, as Paul says, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, weak in the faith. They did not fully understand their liberty in the gospel of Jesus Christ. They did not fully understand their liberty in the new covenant. Paul exhorted the strong not to despise the weak. And he exhorted the weak not to judge the strong. And he exhorted both sides to be fully persuaded in their own minds. Take the time to pray and study until your mind is in tune with what you are sure is the truth of Almighty God. And we all need to do that very practice on a regular basis. 
He reasoned, the apostle reasoned this way. Number one, God can make his blood-bought people to stand even if their consciences are weak. Two, strong and weak are all Christ's servants. Three, all live or die to Christ, not to each other. And four, all. And that all is an absolute all. All will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, those four reasons became the basis for his conclusion. He said, let us not, therefore, judge one another anymore. I remind all of you again, and I perhaps introduce to those of you visiting with us, when it says, let us not judge one another anymore, he's talking about conscience matters. Romans 14 is about conscience controversies. A conscience controversy is something that the Word of God does not expressly command or forbid. There are things we must judge. Otherwise, there wouldn't be any point to church discipline. Otherwise, we couldn't say there is such a thing as right or wrong. There is right or wrong, but we need to make sure that we're measuring what is right and what is wrong by God, who is the truth. And he's given us his word, which is the truth. What your conscience is telling you is not necessarily sound unless it's vibrating with the word of God. Your own heart, your own flesh will deceive you. You'll embrace something that you shouldn't. You'll reject something that you shouldn't. So, let us not judge one another anymore in these conscience controversies. This is not about primary doctrine. If someone rejects the Trinity, we have to say, that's wrong. You are wrong. If they reject justification by faith alone, we have to say, you are wrong. So we are talking neither about primary nor secondary doctrine, but conscience controversies. So Paul then says, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Another way of putting that would be to say, do you know the word of God well enough? Do you understand what God requires well enough that you will not stumble your brothers or sisters in Christ? That's a very serious question. The Jews in Rome were not clear on what they could and could not do according to the new covenant. And therefore, they judged their brothers in this conscience controversy. And the brothers being judged despised them. They looked down on them for doing so. Now, that being the case, Paul has made clear, don't put a stumbling block in your brother's way or your sister. So we do want to be clear about this. We need to be as clear as the sun shining at noonday. It may not be shining today, but it, above the clouds it is. 
The context of Romans 14, I repeat, is conscience controversies. Things that are not expressly commanded or prohibited by Scripture. So Paul focuses on this. Believers must not cause other believers to fall into sin. The decisions you make, listen, listen, and especially every parent needs to get this. Every decision you make affects everyone around you. And you're either being just in your decision or you are not. There is no neutrality in this world. No such thing. So that ups the ante. Your decisions are affecting everyone. Dads, your decisions or your lack of decisions are affecting everybody in your house. Every husband, your decisions affects your wife. And vice versa. Every woman, your decisions affect your husband. So, Paul says, don't stumble one another. That's what you should be judging. Know the truth clearly enough, well enough. Take your own mind and look at the scriptures. Talk to your elders. Read good books on the subject. There's so many things that God's people can do to sharpen their understanding and to inform their consciences. The issue is, are we? Are you just coasting along on how you feel? That is danger, especially for young people. But it's dangerous for anybody. How you feel is not important when it comes to decisions that affect everybody else. Thinking rightly according to the word of God, that matters. And and you need to know, sometimes the right thing does not feel good at all. And sometimes the wrong thing feels great. So, our message then is entitled, Stumbling Your Family. This is part seven. Stumbling Your Family. May our Heavenly Father... Make his power and his presence known and known to us by that great and good Holy Spirit. And may the Spirit open the eyes of our understanding to give us greater and deeper love for Jesus Christ and his people. We've been laboring under one main thought. In what ways can we stumble others? And we can stumble others in our family. And we've been on that for several weeks. And we haven't even begun to scratch the surface, really. I've tried to give some of the things that I think are most useful. But uh, human beings can come up with all kinds of ways to stumble one another. Without even thinking about it. So, number one, spouses can stumble their spouse. Number two, parents can stumble their children. And number three, children can stumble their parents. In part five, I asked 
this question. Children and young people, especially you young people. For little children, this question will go over their heads. But for all of you of a certain age, do you know who and what you really are? If you're not clear on that, everything else is going to go in the wrong direction. The Bible gave us answers for that question. You are, not should be, not might be, not could be, you are an image bearer of God as a male or a female. There are no other options. That's who you are. It's what you are. An image bearer of God as a male or a female. And as such, God has given you a solemn command. Honor thy father and thy mother. God's fifth commandment requires you to honor thy father and thy mother. In part six, we learned that the word honor means heavy, weighty, which implies that a person is noteworthy or impressive. So to honor someone according to God's commandment means that you give your father and mother respect, attention, and obedience. But the requirements do not stop there. We also learned two more things. The fifth commandment applies to the old and the new covenant. So it's applicable today to people who call themselves Christians. Number two, the principle of the fifth commandment applies to all people in positions of authority. Fathers, mothers, pastors, teachers, kings, judges, civil magistrates. We are to respect them. We look around the political landscape today and we go, oh, there's nobody respectable out there. Doesn't matter. They're there because God put them there. More than likely to bring judgment on a disobedient, self-worshipping nation. Read the book of Samuel. Read the book of Kings. Read the book of Chronicles. And see how God judges nations that go their own way. And that's what our nation's about. We are to give respect and as far as possible obedience to those that I've mentioned and to others. Any in true places of authority. Those of you in the military know the character of the man that's above you doesn't matter when it comes to what he tells you, right? Any of you go, oh, I think you're a jerk. I'm not doing that. Any of you tried that? I don't advise it. Well, you don't have to live under him. God put you there. 
That's his school for you. He puts us in places we don't like to be in order to show us what we really are. Every one of us here has too high, too high a respect for ourselves. So the Westminster Assembly puts it this way in the larger catechism. Who are meant by father and mother in the fifth commandment? That seems pretty obvious, right? (laughs) But it goes way past our natural parents. The answer that the Westminster Assembly, the finest theological minds of their day, studied in the scriptures, masters of the Hebrew, the Greek, and the languages in which theology was written, Latin, by father and mother in the fifth commandment are meant not only natural parents, but all superiors in age and gifts, and especially such as, by God's ordinance, are over us in a place of authority, whether in family, church, or commonwealth, which means the political system you happen to be living under. We then considered some of the ways you can honor your parents. We examined the answer to question 127 of the larger catechism. The honor which inferiors, this doesn't mean your nature, you're not inferior to somebody by nature. It means you're in a position regarding authority lower than someone else. That's the idea here. And again, every, everybody that's either on the police force or that's in the military understands this. The honor which inferiors owe to their superiors is all due reverence of heart, word, and behavior. That will put you on your knees. When I left the career that I had pursued through most of my life at that time, the Lord was very pleased to put me under a woman in an office condition that hated all men generally and me particularly. She was over me in authority and she did everything she could to make me miserable because she was convinced that I was going to take her job. And because both of us, uh, well, because I was a friend of our boss, she was sure that that's what was going to happen. So if I didn't make a mistake and I gave her plenty, I, I didn't have to have any help. If I didn't make a mistake... She would go to the boss and make one up. So, I mean, it was constantly, daily. And I would read the scriptures that said, love your enemies. She was going in and telling my boss day in and day out, this guy is is nothing. She would say, we were in a bullpen. There were about eight men and this one woman. And she said, she said one day out loud, so everybody could hear it. If the boss wasn't your friend, you'd have been fired a long time ago. That doesn't make for a happy day. 
That's not enjoyable in the workplace. But it made me understand how full of pride I still was. I thought I was a humble little Christian. And she shredded that. I would come home so upset, I couldn't talk. Imagine that. I would sit down in the living room. I couldn't say anything. My wife would look at me for a few minutes and she would say, another bad day. Mm -hmm. That was it. It took me two years of praying day after day. Lord, help me to love this woman. Help me to love this woman. Help me to love her immortal soul. Help me to take whatever she throws my way and bring glory and honor unto thee. Took two years. But I could tell her, I could look her in the eye and say, you know, I love you. I am praying for you. She usually blew that off. But it didn't matter because what I was telling her was real. The Lord had put me in his hard school, kept my job dangling by a thread, but it was secure because it was in his hands. If I'd gotten fired, I'd been fired. That had been what my boss in heaven said. But my work was to love my enemy. And boy, she was. She could swear like a sailor and she practiced on me as often as she could. The other men sitting at their desk, when she'd start in on me, you could see all their heads dropping. It'd get real busy. But you see, Christianity in our day is impotent because it's just talk and play. Real Christianity obeys Jesus. It doesn't just say, oh, I got my ticket to heaven and now let's live. Let's look and sound and act just like the world because we're going to heaven. You're not reading scripture. You can't possibly be reading scripture. We owe those above us reverence in heart, word, and behavior. You won't do that well without the grace of Jesus Christ. With the grace of Jesus Christ, you can. I can tell you, you can. Anyway, other things that we should do to honor our superiors is to pray and give thanks for them. <laughs> I know some of you here right now, the last thing in your mind is praying for the man in the White House. That's exactly what you ought to be doing. You should be praying for that man's soul and then wisdom. Imitation of their virtues and graces when that's possible. Willing obedience to their lawful commands and counsels. Due submission to their corrections. How well do you take correction from anybody? How well do you take correction? That's teaching you as well. That's telling what you're like. Young people, when your parents correct you, what goes on in your heart? Now, I'm talking to those who profess to be Christians. What goes on in your heart? 
Do you humble yourself before the Lord? Or do you mumble under your breath? Or wait till you get back to your room and then just gripe? Willing obedience to their lawful commands and counsels. Submission to their corrections. Fidelity to defense and maintenance of their persons and authority. According to the, their several ranks and the nature of their places. Bearing. Bearing with their infirmities. Now the only reason some people bear with their boss is because they don't want to lose the paycheck. But there's something far above that and that's honoring our boss in heaven the lord he puts you there yeah but you don't know what this guy's like you don't know what this woman's like god does it was no surprise he didn't go oh how did i give him that job there's a real jerk over him he knows exactly what he's going to do with you he knows exactly the humiliation you need he knows exactly the sharpening you need. He also knows that you need to reevaluate your ability to love. Because it isn't just about loving those that love you. Jesus said that as plain as possible. It isn't about just loving those who love you. That's easy. Lost people do it every day. They like me. I like them. Right? And that can fade in a moment. When you can love your enemies, not just put up with your enemies. <laughs> Some of us get to that point. We just don't hear them anymore. Everything they say just rolls off our back. But that is not the Christian's place. We're to pray and pray for their well-being and to pray that God would save their souls and that you might help them in their authority. Mm. Look at Daniel. Under the pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar. Look at Daniel. He didn't spend all of his days griping because there was a pagan over him. He sought the face of God and he was respectful to the king. See, Christianity is not an American invention. It was founded by the living God come in the flesh. He himself manifests love and kindness to his enemies. If you're going to be his servant, that needs to be clear in your life. Not just there, but clear, obvious. Well, those are some of the things we looked at with some detail last time. With those things in mind, parents, it is vital for you to teach your children to respect authority in your home first. If they're not going to do it there, they're not going to do it outside your home. Teach them to respect authority in the home. Then you should teach them to respect God-given authority in the church and civil government. It's really quite interesting. I say this carefully, cautiously. I don't want to offend any. But very often I can tell if parents love the elders of the church. By the way, the children react to us. 
Always exceptions. But I will say to you, the atmosphere you make in your house says something about how you yourself understand authority. Now, as we take up under this notion of honoring your parents again, where do we look for help in this, right? Where do we find help in loving our enemies? Where do we find help in loving our parents? There is no greater teacher, there's no greater model than Jesus Christ. When he was 12, Jesus went up to Jerusalem with his parents to celebrate Passover. 12. How many 12-year-olds do we have here this morning? Do we, we've got to have at least one. Do we have any 12-year-olds? Raise your hand. One, two, okay, three. Oh, <laughs> false alarm. All right. Need to be glad it wasn't an auction. <laughs> okay, so we've got a couple. If, if you saw who raised their hands, that's the age Jesus was. He was 12. Now, a lot of us don't expect a lot of deep things from, from 12-year-olds. There are some rare uh, exemptions there, but uh, examples. When he was 12, Jesus went up to, the, to Jerusalem with his parents to celebrate Passover. The Jews traveled in groups to the feasts at Jerusalem. And Joseph and Mary thought Jesus was with the group that was traveling back to Nazareth. After a day's journey, they realized Jesus was not in the group. He was not with them. Now, that's a parent's great fear, a great shocking fear. I thought I knew where the children were. My son's gone. Well, they turned around and went back to Jerusalem. They hurried back to Jerusalem and they found him in the temple. He was amid the theologians, astonishing them with his questions and his answers. Joseph and Mary took him back home. Now listen, my precious children. Listen to the way the sacred text puts this. He, Jesus, went down with them, Joseph and Mary, and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. Is that not breathtaking? See, if you know who Jesus Christ is, that's astonishing. That is amazing. The eternal Son of God made flesh, obeyed His sinful parents. He willfully and we can assume joyfully submitted himself to Joseph and Mary. They did not understand his words. They did not understand his actions. They did not understand his purpose. He said, how is it that you sought me? He wasn't being a smart aleck. 
He wasn't gainsaying. For those of you that read the authorized version, a gainsayer is a back talker. Children understand that if you have parents that are doing it right. Don't talk back to me. You be quiet and listen to what I'm telling you. Yeah, but you... That's gainsaying. That's back-talking. Jesus could have done that with his parents. Do you all know who I am? I mean, I know I'm 12, but didn't you just see me in the temple stunning all of the scribes and Pharisees? How is it do you think that I did that? Don't you remember the prophecy that was given to you, Mom, about me? Could he have instructed his parents? He could have without sin. But he submitted to them. How is it that ye sought me? You came looking for me. He said, wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? The word wist there means no, K-N-O-W, don't you know? Again, he was not being smart aleck. He was asking a genuine question. Don't you know that I must be about my father's business? He wasn't talking about his heavenly. uh, He wasn't talking about the earthly Joseph who was bringing him up. He was talking about his heavenly father. Jesus was very aware of himself. And he knew and understood why he was here. Didn't you know that I should be about what my father has given me to do? In other words, I wasn't disobeying you. I was obeying my heavenly father and I was talking to the men who will later crucify me. They did not understand their son He didn't hold that over them. They did not know Jesus' father's business. They didn't know he was the God-man. They didn't know that he would die on Calvary's cross for sinners, rise again the third day, and ascend up into glory. That wasn't clear to anybody. Nevertheless, the incarnate Son of God submitted to his Father in heaven by submitting to his earthly parents. Children and young people, whatever your profession of faith is, your relationship to your parents really says whether it's real or no. You obey God By obeying your parents. That's his command. Now. Jesus obeyed the fifth commandment. That's what he was doing. He was obeying the commandments of God. And not only so. Listen even more intently if you will. When Jesus hung upon Calvary's bloody cross for the sins of his people, he honored his mother. She stood at the foot of the cross 
looking at the sun. That she had nursed at her, at her breast. At that heart. Can, all right, moms. Are you getting this? Are you hearing this? What do you feel like when your children are sick? What do you feel like when they're hurt? Mary stood looking at the sun. It was a horrible sight. I wonder if the prophetic words of Simeon rose up in her memory. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also. She gazed up at her holy child who was bleeding, beaten, swollen, unrecognizable, distorted in pain and anguish, his head crowned with thorns, patches of his beard plucked out, his back plowed up with scourging, his hands and feet Nailed to a cross like a criminal. And that's what everybody who didn't know who that was on the cross thought. Just another criminal. And as the weight of his heavenly father's wrath for sin crashed upon him with wave after wave after wave upon his body and upon his soul. He looked down from the cross and honored his mother. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he said unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. A sinless son in the depths of of agony that none of us here can comprehend, saw his mother and honored her in his unimaginable agony. He thought about his mother being cared for. And he said, John, here's your mom. Take care of her. Children, by faith in Christ, you should honor your father and your mother. For those of you who profess to be Christians, you are united by the Holy Spirit to Jesus Christ. He dwells within you. You ought to be able to love your mom and dad. You ought to be able to show weak and feeble parents that you love them 
it took the Lord saving me and opening my heart to love my father, the alcoholic, who I had to pick up from the floor. The book is real. Do you read it? Do you believe it? Do you apply it to your life? Or have you bought the modern easy believism as long as I've nodded my head to Jesus, I'm okay with God? Jesus saves people to change them and make them like him. That's the goal. By faith in Christ, honor. Give your attention to your parents. Respect them, even when they're not respectable. And obey them. Now, we've considered some of the ways that we honor our parents. What are some of the ways that we can stumble them? What are some of the ways we don't have enough time and we're not going to have part eight? So we'll just look at three. But first I will read you question number 128 from uh, the, uh, I believe this is from the, 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 the shorter catechism. What are the sins of inferiors against their superiors? The sins of inferiors the sins of inferiors against their superiors are all neglect of the duties required toward them. They've given you a list of things that you and I should be given ourselves to. He says, if you ignore those, you're setting a stumbling block before them. We'll talk about that. Just a few minutes. All neglect of duties required toward them. Envying at, contempt of, and rebellion against their persons and places. That means place of their authority. In their lawful counsels, commands, and corrections. Cursing, mocking, and all such refractory and scandalous carriage. Refractory means stubborn and rebellious. The scripture says as plainly as possible, stubbornness is as the sin of witchcraft and idolatry. Scandalous carriage means behavior that causes them to stumble into sin. You can do that. Idolatry and stubbornness, witchcraft, dishonoring parents. Hmm. Because of who and what you are, children, listen carefully. Because of who and what you are, because of your parents' great love and hope for you, and because of God's solemn command to honor them, you can cause your parents to stumble in many ways. 
at the very least, you can hinder their walk with the Lord. No one can hurt your parents like you can. Nobody. You can unnecessarily discourage them as they're caring for you. You can unnecessarily plunge them into grief and despair. One of the most unpleasant things for me to work through is parents that have come in to talk and to seek counsel when a child has gone astray. The tears, the agony, the shaking, the trembling, the inability to speak. Then they fall into their flesh. If this is the way it was going to go, why did I do this? Why do I put all these years into them? They didn't care. Now that's a problematic statement. Because it means, on one hand, you believe that somehow or another, if you did things just right, they'd turn out great. That's not the way it works. Young people, you can unnecessarily cause them to doubt the goodness of God. That's their fault. The Word of God says, read the book of Job. God knew what he was doing all the way through the book of Job. Killed all ten of his children in one day. He lost everything. All his animals. Every, I mean, he lost his estate. He lost everything. And at least while in his best mind, he said, the Lord has given. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You say, you know, all this stuff you're talking about, I don't know how many people that do this. That's right. And that's why the church is virtually impotent in the eyes of this nation. They don't see much difference between you and me and them. But you can unnecessarily discourage them. They, they can actually doubt God. That's their fault, but you've been the stumbling block. Are you with me? Are you understanding this? There are a lot of people that love to get on the, hey, let's be a happy Christian family bandwagon. And then they find out it will just about cost them their lives. It's very important. And it's very hard. <clears throat> and sometimes you can pour all the goodness that the Lord shows you into your children and they will still say, thanks, appreciate all this. They might say thanks. And now I'm going to go do what I want to do. And they will. You say, well, that's, that's a downer. Then why should we do all this? Shouldn't we ask that question? And here's the, here's the answer. To glorify God. That's it. The results are in his hand. We do it 
Because God said, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And because we love the Lord Jesus Christ, we want to bring these children up and show them the way to life. We want to model the way of life before them. We want them to know. We want them to memorize scripture. We want to teach them what the catechism says because we want them to know what the structure of the Bible is. We want them to know the doctrines of the scriptures. We want them to know Christ more than anything else. If you're alive in Christ, that's what you want for your children. Not just, oh, I hope they don't embarrass me. That too says something about our hearts. Too many parents are simply performance-based. You're embarrassing me by the way you're doing this stuff, and therefore I'm going to wail on you till you get the message. Uh-uh. Well, there's times that we really have to discipline some of our children in, in pretty strict and powerful ways. But the issue is not making them just little echoes playing a game. Okay, dad's angry today. Oh, we're going to kind of cool it. You want them from their hearts to know the truth and to obey, the, obey you because you have loved them and they're loving you back. And they realize they've broken the fellowship. Well, you can not only unnecessarily plunge your parents into grief and despair, you can unnecessarily cause them to doubt the goodness of God, the ways of God, the word of God. They'll either say, man, I did something wrong. What did I do wrong? You do wrong stuff all the time in your parenting. There's not any perfect parents here. The issue is how you respond when you do wrong. It's called repentance. You repent before God and you repent before your family. You repent before those children you just got overly angry at. Then there's sometimes when it's like, no, I'm not, I'm not repenting about anything because what you did deserves anger. There's a place for it. Jesus said, for Moses said, honor thy father and thy mother. And whoso curseth father and mother, let him die the death. But ye say, if a man shall say to his father and mother, it is Corban. That is to say, a gift. By whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. They had a game going. The Jews knew that they were to care for their parents. But they also liked their stuff, their own stuff. And to take care of your parents, they didn't have insurance back then. That was more money. That was more mouths to feed. So they'd give it to the temple. And then later, they often got it back. Jesus hated that. He said, you're violating the law of Moses because you're using a legal trick not to care for your parents. Sorry, mom and dad can't help you. I'd love to, but I gave it to the temple. Now, that's evil. Well, we're about out of time, so let me rush ahead. Children, here's the fact. 
If I may put it this way, there are many, 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 many ways that you can stumble your parents. And I pray, especially for our visitors' sakes, that you remember when somebody sins, it's their fault. It's their choice. But you can contribute to that sin. And that's what we're talking about. Stumbling your parents into sin. It's their fault that they chose sinful anger, perhaps. But you were the occasion for it. By your own wickedness. So, we don't want to make the word of God of none effect by our traditions. We don't want to rip off mom and dad. A time comes when we need to care for them after they've cared for us. Well, I, I jumped down. Let me just say, young people, there are at least three sins that are usually in everybody's list. Young people, children, and there are many, many more, but I, I, I will tell you the ones that usually show up and they're perfect for putting stumbling blocks in front of your parents. First on the list, pride. Pride. Your pride hides under many disguises. Sometimes those sweet and smiling children are just as wicked and are just as prideful as they can be. Pride gives birth to many sins. It is your pride that makes excuses for disobeying your parents. You ever ask yourself why you decide, oh, well, yeah, they said this, but I'm not going to do it. Why is that? It's because you're full of pride. It is your pride that makes you believe that you can do things behind their backs and get away with it. It is your pride that makes you think you can lie to them and get away with it. Nothing but pride. It is your pride and unbelief that moves you to disobey them. It is your pride that makes you reject their counsel. Now, I, I want this to go my way. Mm-hmm. Well, your parents can be wrong. There's no question. Parents can, unfortunately, give bad counsel sometimes. But do you know what good counsel is well enough to weigh it? They may be telling you, no, this is not a good idea, not because they're mean and emissaries of Satan, but because they know it isn't good for you. They know that it may destroy you. Listen to the word of God, will you? God resisteth the proud but giveth grace to the humble. God resisteth the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Your parents may require something of you that ultimately may not have been just right in harmony with the word of God, but you're going to be in the same saddle someday. And you need to be able to come to the scriptures, come to get counsel to find out, am I thinking the right way here? Am I really honoring them? I can, I can honestly tell you, 
in all the years that I've pastored, no one, no young person has ever come to my office, never, and said, I'm having trouble honoring my folks. Would you help me with that? Not once. You'd think that my office would be full all the time. And Brother Clarence, I'd have to pray the Lord would send us a dozen more elders to take care of all the issues. No one seems to be concerned. And, and tragically, they'll very often just go to a friend who doesn't know any more than they do. That's your pride. You need to pray about pride. God resisteth the proud. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Proverbs 16, 5. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. What made Jesus tick? Humility. He bowed to his Father in heaven. He bowed to his earthly father. His earthly mother. Please hear the word of God. Another common sin is disobedience. I want my way. I don't like your way. I'm going to do this. Doesn't matter what you say. God hates that. He does. Aren't I supposed to grow up and make my own decisions? Yes. Now show some wisdom in it. Find out what is right for the path. Before you decide, I'm going to do this because I want to. Because I like it. You might find out that it doesn't honor Christ. You might find out it doesn't honor your parents. You might find out it's actually very dangerous for you. I'm not trying to make parents perfect here. They're not. There's not one perfect parent in here. All of us have failed at various points. But the issue is, God wants order. And he does his order through authority and people bowing to authority what's wrong with our nation right now everybody wants to do what they want to do i want to go to america because that's where you can just do what you want in the way it used to be and look at what we have now utter hatred of authority in every every conceivable level so Disobedience and thirdly, an ungrateful attitude. Boy, you can grieve your parents just like that. If you're looking for a way to do it, just go right on in ingratitude. Pride, disobedience, ingratitude will stumble, wound, and often unnecessarily grieve your parents. Do you believe that? We could go on, I'm going to stop here, except <laughs> one footnote. What do we do when parents are not honorable? What do we do when parents are not honorable? It happens. Well, John Flavel answers this in his exposition of the Shorter Catechism. And it's under the fifth commandment. He says, what shall, what shall children do when parents abuse their authority by forbidding duty, that means duty to God, forbidding them to do what God commands. Or commanding sin. And not commanding you something that you just don't like. That doesn't make it sinful. It might be sinful. 
but it may not be. What do we do when, when mom and dad actually are in rebellion against God, whether they realize it or not, whether they go to church or not, they forbid me to do what God has commanded me to do? Doesn't happen very often, but it does happen. What do I do if he's commanding me to sin? In such cases, children are to obey God rather than parents. That'll cost you. But it will be worth the cost. You don't disobey God to obey anybody else. But this is disobeying God. And what does that mean? It means you've got to know his word well enough to know when you're either being commanded to disobey God or being commanded to sin against God. Many of us are coming up against those issues with government. It's there. We've got to wrestle with it. We should bow and do everything we can to be the best citizens on the planet. But our government is not God. And we must not disobey God to obey men. So these are important matters. You can see day in and day out. These are important matters. So children, let me... Now I will close. I want to close with a prayer from J.G. Pike. He wrote a book called Persuasives to Early Piety. This is from the 1800s. But I want to close this with his prayer. Quote, Great God, grant this request. Oh, let the sorrows of the Savior urge it. Oh, let the intercession of the Savior obtain it. Oh, let the influences of the Holy Spirit accomplish what is thus desired. Bestow thy spirit, O God of love. Bestow those blessed influences, O thou Savior of mankind, who has received gifts for men. Bestow them, O Father and Lord of all, and bring some youthful sinner to the feet of the crucified Son. Though it be but one, grant that one may go to him for life. I pray that today for this congregation. Now, O God of grace, hear this supplication and teach the young ones with sincerity of heart to join in that which follows. Grant this, Great God, for his sake, who died on Calvary below, who lives, reigns, and pleads for man above, and whose is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. O oh, my Father, hear that prayer. Save the lost today. Child, young person, older adult, Come by the wooings of thy spirit. Help us to see our sins and failures. And help us to see salvation and the washing away of all sins in the blood of Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, brethren, <clears throat> we are going to have our baptism.